All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's Note to Self's five-pack on climate change. How we can do better as individuals, collectively, with our technology choices and our habits. With David Biello, who, Refresher, is the science curator for TED. He's contributor to Scientific American, and he is the author of The Unnatural World. He is also great at explaining things. This is episode four, although you don't have to listen in order. But if you are, so far we've thought about how to cool our homes more kindly, the amazing powers of whale poop, and how to give our plants superpowers. And all of those things, basically they're different ways to control CO2 in the atmosphere, which we must do soon. So here's another way, burying it. But of course, it has a fancy word. I've been reading this word, sequestration, and all it makes me think of is at the end of the lawyers making their argument in court and the jurors get sequestered. Ooh, interesting. How does it relate to the environment, David? (laughs) So sequestration is a term that scientists use for basically burying CO2 for geologically relevant periods of time. So not burying it for like a day or a month or a year, but for hundreds of years, thousands of years, millions of years, so that it's effectively taken out of the carbon equation that is not going in our favor at present. As a result, we have global warming. Now, is that different than like a landfill where they're just like, let's put it in the ground and pretend it's not there? It's not different than a landfill. It's kind of a souped up landfill. So they're burying it deeper and they're burying it for longer periods of time. Where do they get it and how do they stick it in there? Where? So CO2. Picturing like a massive vacuum cleaner. That's kind of... It, (laughs) all right? right. Uh, But you're sticking that giant vacuum cleaner on the end of a smokestack. And the idea there is to kind of catch the CO2 before you just dump it in the sky. And then what do you do with that CO2? You bury it very deep in the ground. We know that you can sequester CO2 for geologically relevant periods of time because that's what fossil fuels are. They've been buried for hundreds of thousands or even millions of years. They haven't moved. They haven't shifted. We're not using the deep underground for anything yet. It seems like a pretty good place to put the CO2 because it'll be safe and stable and it'll be away from the sky where we don't want it. And, you know, the CO2 might transform into rock, which is a good thing, by the way, Uh because then it's even more stable and secure for millions of years at that point. Think of the White Cliffs of Dover. That's limestone. That is sequestered CO2. Oh, they're beautiful. They're beautiful, right? So that's the capture and sequester 
point of view. I don't know. It sounds like a kid cleaning their room and they just shove everything into the closet. It's true. And it's going to come out eventually. It's true. But it turns out the earth is pretty big. So we probably do have enough room to bury the CO2. The problem is it's obviously more expensive to bury CO2 than it is to just dump it in the sky for free. Right. That's the real problem. Should we turn to this idea? I mean, I feel like this is something that's been talked about since I was a little kid, you know, first grade in the 70s, alternative energy, wind and solar and geothermal and, of course, nuclear. These are all things that have been bandied about for decades. Where are we in terms of the high-tech solution to alternative energy? Alternative energy. I have great news for you on that front. Yay. It's finally real. Yay! Right? Solar is cheap and getting cheaper. Wind is cheap and getting cheaper. You might have noticed there are a lot more wind farms out there than there I were have, in the yeah. 1970s. There are a lot more solar farms out there than there were in the 1970s. So this is good news. Now, the bad news is it's not happening fast enough. The world still gets more than 80% of its energy needs from fossil fuels. And the transformation is not happening fast enough that will kind of keep CO2 in check. So if we want to avoid the worst of global warming, we have to kind of accelerate that transition. We have actually reduced our emissions to 1990 levels from the electricity sector, thanks to that transition from coal to natural gas. We're doing a good job. The problem is we have to go to zero. How do we do that? By transitioning to solar, wind, geothermal, which is basically tapping the heat in the rocks underneath your feet. But I will say last night around dinner time, of course, we still have a landline and it rang and it was somebody telling me that the government wanted me to know about subsidies for solar power in my neighborhood. Wow. Like, I don't know, my parents had their weird 80s house that had solar panels. I don't (laughs) think they actually were connected to anything, but they looked cool. Is this what we need to be doing? Well, I think the important point there is the looked cool, right? What's going to enable this (laughs) transition is if our houses look better as a result of solar panels on them than they do without. And that'll be the house of the future. That's actually happening. The little things add up to be something big, and that's how we're going to solve this problem. One solar panel on its own can't produce a lot of electricity. That's why we put them into these big arrays to make enough electricity so we can run our air conditioners. It's the same with people. One person on their own is not going to change enough to kind of transform the planet. But as more and more people do these things, suddenly the world is entirely different. Okay. So maybe you're the cool person on your block who always throws the annual barbecue. If you got a solar panel and showed all your neighbors, then maybe you'd all start barbecuing mushrooms and all getting solar panels. It's funny you mention that. What is the number one predictor for someone getting solar panels on their house? Oh, God, I don't know. What? That they're vegetarian? No. What? That their neighbors did it. No way. Yeah. So it's absolutely true. (laughs) Keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, keeping up with the Joneses. It's a primal human need. And the more we can harness that in the good direction, the better off we'll all be. All right, be the trendy one on your street. Wear high-rise jeans and convert your neighbors to solar power. And if that doesn't work, we have a plan B. Well, planet B. That's next in your queue of podcasts. And yes, we finally talk about Elon Musk. It has to be done, right? You know how I'm going to finish this episode off, though, right? Yes, 
you should sign up for our newsletter at noteselfradio.org. And yes, you should check out my book, Bored and Brilliant, at manoushz.com. M-A-N-O-U-S-H-Z. I am out of CO2. Number five, and M-A-R-S, is next. Meanwhile, the Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to Matt Boynton, too. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Mega Maid. Remarkable. Now, commence operation Suck. What's going on? It's Megamate. She's gone from suck to blow. What? They're getting all their air back. Do something. Do something. Do something. <laughs> <laughs>